Well, we're in a series on next. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second. But I'd love to look in the camera at the back of the room and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond and Scott's Edition and the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections. Come on, Midlothian. Let's welcome everybody. Glad you're here today. Huge, huge good morning to the lobby. Come on, lobby. Say good morning. Come on, lobby. And lobby, thank you for your patience and all that God's doing in our church. And we're glad you're here. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you look good today. Come on, tell them you look good. And we'll dive in. Well, let me remind you, next weekend is an important weekend in the life of our church. We're calling it Commitment Sunday. And uh, those of you that are new, about a year ago uh, in April, all, all of us made commitments to a ministry we called Next. It's a two-year ministry plan to see disciples made uh, in, in the city of Richmond and in Midlothian, expand the facility here, all that. And, uh, and so we're reaching the halfway point. And so next Sunday's Commitment Sunday. So those of us that have made the commitments, we're going to just check the box, affirm that we're going to continue to follow through faithfully on what God's called us to do. But I know there's also a lot of new people or people that weren't able to jump in last time. And uh, here's really our goal for 100% participation. More than any like specific amount of resources we're trying to raise, in any way, it's really 100% participation. All of us who say the chapel is my home church to participate. So would you take this little card and just pray over it this next week and we'll gather together next weekend. We'll make those commitments and it'll be exciting to see all that God is going to do. So that's next Sunday. Somebody say next Sunday. Okay. Let me remind you one other thing before we dive into the message. Easter, kind of a big deal. Jesus rose from the dead. Hello. Yeah. Big deal. And so uh, just to let you know, uh, our Easter services, we, we've really planned, uh, I think, a schedule that's going to make space for no one to have to be in the lobby for any of our gatherings. And so that, I, I didn't know if that's a promise, but uh, I hope so. And so let me just tell you what the schedule is, and you can find it on chapelrva.com slash RSVP. But um, we have Friday service in Midlothian. They're all identical, by the way. Same uh, music, special music, after service elements message, everything identical. So Friday night, then Saturday in Midlothian, Saturday we'll have Midlothian and Scott's edition uh, Easter services, all of our normal Sunday times. And then we've added one more that really affects the 1115 and 930 in Midlothian. I want to make anybody that's interested in this, we're pretty excited about this. And that is we're adding a uh, 1015 Easter morning, Easter experience across the street from Midlothian in the Swift Creek Middle School, okay? So uh, that's going to be set up and tear down, but same experience. We'll be preaching there in person, all that kind of thing happening in the Swift. How many might go to Swim Creek Middle School? Come on, just raise your hand, or it's just going to be Katie and I. Okay, that's depressing. Okay, I'm going to need better than that. Come on. How many are going to let the person next to you go? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. That's great. So would you just pray about that? It's, we're new. In fact, we may do special things over there that we don't do for any other service. And somebody said, that's manipulative. Absolutely it is. Yeah. That's what we're doing here, you know. So we just want to make enough space for Easter weekend so everyone you know and invite can, uh, can be a part of that. So don't forget Scott's edition. There's a, there'll be a Saturday p.m. and then normal Sunday in all locations, normal Sunday, but adding some added times just to make space. Yeah, I read a study that said over 80% of people, if they're invited to church on Easter, would come. 
And I'm believing this year more people are going to give their life to Jesus on Easter than in the history of our church. And so we're going to, we're going to trust God for that. Amen. Yeah. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Well, hey, um, uh, th- this series next is just a reminder that God has a next for us. How many know you can't replay the past? You can only live in the present and believe for the future. And I believe, Paul says in Philippians 3, that pressing on, we lay those things uh, behind, we forget what's behind, and we press on to take hold of what God's uh, planned for us. And so I'm going to talk to you about having vision, living for the future. And here's the definition of vision. It's just simply, it's super simple. It's just the ability to see clearly. That's all vision is, is when I can see where I'm going. And I'm convinced a lot of people don't have a vision for their life and they don't have a vision for their marriage and they don't have a vision for their family or they don't have a vision for their work. And and I think God wants us to be people of vision. I think God wants us to have vision, right? You have a rear view mirror, which is pretty small, right? But how many know your your front window is pretty big? Because that's where, how many know you, you can glance back, but you better drive looking forward? Come on. I used to have this uncle of my Katie, remember, he, he would always look at you when he was driving in the back seat and look in the mirror and he would just talk to you the whole time and you're like, please, Uncle Stevie, please just watch the road. I can hear you if you don't look at me. And, and I'm convinced a lot of people are looking backwards or getting distracted. And so this series called Next is not only about the vision of our church, it's a reminder that all of us need vision. All of us need direction. In fact, the Bible says where there is no vision or where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, meaning we were made to have vision. And when we don't have vision of where God's taking us, it leads to chaos and confusion. So, so I'm here to remind us God has a vision for our lives. In fact, I don't know if you remember, about a month ago, there's a real cold night and, and you probably woke up and your window was frosted over. And my, my daughter, who's 18, decided that she would not uh, de-ice her window, that she would just drive and let the defrost work while she was driving. And, uh, and so that night she told me, Dad, I ran over the neighbor's bushes. And it was horrible, too, because when I came home where I turned left, I could see somebody totally plowed over these two bushes. I mean, like three feet of their lawn. I can see a tire track and just boom. And I said, was that you? I saw that. And she's like, yeah, that was me. And I said, what did they say? And she said, well, I haven't really talked to them yet. I said, well, you're going to need to tell them that you're the one who ran over their bushes like that. And she said, can you do it? And I said, I can't do it because I didn't run over their bushes. You see, I know how to drive. And so... uh, this is a learning opportunity for you. And she said, oh, I can't believe it. So she went to their, knocked on their door and then no one answered. So she had a sticky note. She wrote a note with her phone number and stuck it on the door. She's like, I'm so glad they weren't home. I left my phone number, but I hope they don't call. You know what I mean? So, so uh, I'm going to know when you, don't, when you don't have vision of where you're going, there are problems. And, and I think so many people in this world don't have a vision for their life and they're just aimless and they're, they're not waking up with a sense of purpose. I love what John Maxwell says. Those who have a vision for their work wake up and they skip to work. Come on, you want me to skip? There's no way I'm going to do that publicly, you know. But I mean, it just means you have a sense of vision, you have a sense of drive, you have a sense of where God's leading us. And let me remind you of one of our number one visions as a church. We say, no God, find free to make a difference. But one of our number one, our number one vision as a church is just to help people come to know God and grow in their knowledge of God. In fact, Paul puts it this way, how sad it is when people have missed the most important thing in life. I love this. They don't, they don't what? They don't know God. How many know there's nothing that matters in life if you don't know God? 
In fact, Jesus said, what would it matter? What would it matter to a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? Meaning you can crush it in every area of life. And if you don't have a relationship with God, none of it matters, right? In fact, that's what Pastor Jason kind of reminded us of last week, that when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. All that really matters is that we know God. How many know all of us are born and and we're going to die? Just want to encourage you today. You are going to die. Remember old school churches that had the cemetery right next to the church? You know what I'm talking about? Like, welcome to church. There's your aunt. You know, like everybody... Right there, that's our family. Like, I think we need to bring that back. Uh, okay, because it's just a reminder, we're not going to live for it. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're going to die. Come on, before me. Say, you're going to die before me. No. Some of you are like, mm-mm, not doing it. I mean, the truth is, whether we have a day or a week or a month or a year, or you eat organic, and so you live a couple years longer in misery... Wouldn't you rather go a year early, you know? Uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the whole point is all of us uh, have, have, have a vision, not just for this life, but for the one that's to come. And that's what we're giving our life to as a church, just to help people come to know God. That's what Next is all about, just to make space for people to come to know God. It's saying we can't forever just sit people in one or, one or two lobbies and do that. We have to make space for more people to meet Jesus. And so that's what Next is about. It's a passionate, a passionate heart for us to, to help people to know God. And I want to talk to you about how do you get vision, not just as a church. I'll share a couple vision elements about our church, but how do you get vision for your own life? How do you get vision for your own family, for your business? And it all comes from this little minor prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Habakkuk, okay? Come on, say it with me, Habakkuk. It's like, it feels like you got the, the popcorn caught in your throat, Habakkuk. And, and, and he is writing at a time where there's just evil proliferating in the world and, and, and pagan worship of gods. And it feels like immorality rules and the bad guys are winning and the good guys are... Have you ever looked around at the world and just thought something is wrong in our world, right? Well, that's how he felt. And he was like, God, are you not going to do anything? And God gives him some vision. In fact, he says this, the prophet says, I will look to see what God will say. And I think it's interesting that he doesn't say, I'm going to listen to what God's going to say. That's probably what I would say. Instead, he says, my vision is going to be determined by what I hear from God. I want you to see this. God was going to give him vision to see things not as they are, but as they could be. That's one of my goals over the next couple minutes this morning to help us to not just see our lives as they are, but as they could be with God. Did you know your life can be different with God being a part of it? In fact, some of us are in this room, and if you knew the story of some of the people, if I passed the microphone up and down the rows, some people would stand up and say, you have no idea where anybody got that story right, where God brought me from. And, and it's a reminder to us not just to accept where we, where we are, but to, to realize with God, I, I see things not just as they are, but as they could be. I have a dim- divine imagination. And, And so God comes to Habakkuk and he gives him some vision. In fact, he speaks to a prophet who, if you read chapter one, he's kind of depressed. He's cynical. He's critical. Okay. He's, mm. he's watched nothing but 24 hour cable news and he is frustrated. Come on. And God actually has to come and remind him. He says, Habakkuk, I want to remind you of something. I'm doing something in your own day but you wouldn't even believe it if I told you about it. I'm not saying our world is perfect, but how many feel like God's starting to do something in our own day? 
in our city and our nation, right? That, that's just something different in the, in, the, in the atmosphere. There's a sense of God's hand breathing upon our communities and our churches and our students and our groups and our men and women. And, and God's doing that. And, and so Habakkuk decides that he has to get away from all the noise of the community around him. And he actually says, I'm going to go. And here's where he gets vision. I'm going to go and get alone. I'm going to climb up to my watchtower. How many have ever needed in the world we live in some alone time? In fact, I'll tell you, one of the gifts, if I ever give my wife a gift, it's just I take everyone out of the house. And she's like, what could be the greatest thing I could do for you? She's like, just take everyone out of this house right now. How many know what I'm talking about, right? How many feel like we're a little overconnected in the world, right? Cell phone, text message, Instagram. I mean, you get, remember the old days when if you, didn't, if you, you, you couldn't get a hold of somebody if they left the house? How many remember phones with cords? Those of you who are younger, you may not understand this. There used to be a phone on the, hall, on the wall of our kitchen that my, my mom, man, she, you remember the cord was supposed to be like eight feet. Hers went 40 feet. How many are not talking about the stretched cord? Anybody, can I get a witness? Like, just like she was all over that house with that cord. And, and it used to be you left voicemail. I mean, you could, so you could get alone. You could, we weren't as connected. And I think, I think we are almost over-connected. And, and, and Habakkuk says, I got to get alone. I got to get with God. I need a connection to God. Let me just give you three things I really see for our church. I see for your life and mine. Here's the first thing I see. And man, I see this so clear for our church. I see a people that meet with God. I see a church that wants to gather not just to hear a message or not just to sing a couple songs. I see a church that wants to meet with God. I, I see a church. I see a church of people that gather to meet with the Lord. I see a people that gather not just to hear a talk or a smooth band. We gather to connect with an audience of one, the God of the universe. We are a church that gathers to meet with God, right? And now people always ask me, like, is the chapel a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church? Or sometimes people will say the word Pentecostal really slow. Is it a Pentecostal church? And I never know what people mean by that. I'm like, do you mean like, is my wife's hair really big? You know what I mean? And she sits on a gold chair and looks like she lost a paintball gun or with the makeup. You know what I'm talking about on TV, right? Like, is that her? Like, no, no. Do we have demon slaying gloves or anything? Like, listen, I'm, I'm saying, I, I know there's some extremes in the, in the world of church life, but, but we're still a church that wants to meet with God. Anybody come today to meet with God? Like, you're, you're happy to hear a sermon, and ha- but, but we've come to meet with God. I, I just have this phrase. I, I want us to use it more. We're a church that's just presence-driven. We gather to meet with God's presence, right? 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that even if people come into the church when we're worshiping and they don't know anything about God, they'll say, surely the Lord is among you. Like, I don't know how to describe what it is in here. I don't know how to explain that feeling. I don't quite understand it, but God must be meeting with his people. I long to be a part of a church, and I think we already are there, but want to grow in this as a church where just God meets with us, right? We just gather to meet with God. In fact, Jesus modeled this for us. He regularly, even as the son of God, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He was a person who met with God. So we want to be a presence-driven church. We've come to meet with God. And Habakkuk literally says, so I'm looking to God, and I'm looking to hear what the Lord will what? Come on, what the Lord will 
say. So not only do I see a church that wants to meet with God, here's the second one, and we've got to hold this one as a church. I see a church and a people that boldly proclaim God's word. We are a Bible-centered church. We are a Bible-centered church. I know that this is getting increasingly rare in our culture where people are like, well, I'm not sure, and maybe you didn't know, or I'm not, but we are a Bible. So not only presence-driven, come on, somebody just say this, we're Bible-driven, okay? Hey, we've got to be people of God's word, right? We've got to be people of God's word. In fact, I think there's two extremes in church. You can have the church that's all Holy Spirit and no Bible, and you can have all, all church that's all Bible. They think the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? And how many know you need the Bible and the Holy Spirit? You need one, you need both, right? I used to have a friend whose his church was kind of all Holy Spirit, and they had a saying at their church, if it's odd, it's God. And I was like, no, you're odd. You know, like, don't blame the Lord. So I know there can be extremes, but I think there's another group too that it's like, no, 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 no. We're just, we're, we're, we're kind of frozen, chosen, stiff. Like we don't have any, you know what I'm talking about, right? So come on, how many know, somebody said, if you have all Holy Spirit, you blow up. If you have all Bible and no Holy Spirit, you dry up. How many know, but if you have a Holy Spirit and the Bible, you have both wings of the plane, you grow up into all God has for us. Can we just be all about the Holy Spirit and the Bible? Is that allowed? Okay. Like, and I think you have to hold on to scripture. In fact, do you know the, the first temptation in, in all of the, the first thing that brought down humanity was the enemy literally asking Adam and Eve, did God really say? Do you know this is the first way to destroy our life, our church, our community. It's destroying denominations. Did you, did it, did the Bible? Mm, I don't know. That was kind of for that day. No, it's not for today. Oh, that Bible's, Bible's kind of outdated. Oh, we need, to, we need to juice it up and make it cooler. And, you know, how many know we got to stand on God's word, right? In fact, somebody asked me, oh, I've heard people argue, men and women. I've heard men say, I'm going to correct this, that women sinned first in the Bible. So could I address that for a second today? I'm going to go where angels dare to tread today. And, because Eve took the fruit. And so the, the, I heard a guy, I was in a counseling session. He's like, well, women have always done that. I mean, women sinned first. And I was like, this is going to be a tough premarital counseling session here. Uh, but it's interesting because the Bible says that after Eve ate of the fruit, it says she gave to her husband, Adam, who was with her. So can I just say this? Eve might have eaten first, but he, she had a passive man right next to him, her who stood there weakly, not doing anything. So is that okay to say? I don't know if you can say that. I'm just saying, I think one of the challenges of culture is they're always warning against strength in men. I think one of the dangers is when weak men abdicate their role to be providers and protectors, and then bad men rise up and ruin the whole thing. So take that for what it's worth. Whatever. Uh, take that for what it's worth. But I'm just, what was I saying? Oh, did God really say that's the point. And the point is, that was for free. I've been preaching all day, and uh, that was for free. Um, so the whole point is, some churches are saying, I'm not sure about the Bible. I'm not sure about the Bible. We just are, we're all about the Bible, okay? Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, training, correcting, reproving, and righteousness, that the person of God may be equipped for good works. 
Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to God's word. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Ezekiel the prophet literally says, your word was like honey. And, and, and when I ate it, it did taste sweet, right? Jeremiah the prophet said, your, your word is a fire in my bones and I cannot help but speak it. We need to be a church. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even to devote Dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, we need more than a church that's led by good ideas. We need a church that's led by God's word. All in favor of being a Bible-centered church, say amen. Okay, so I kind of said this already. That's good. And, the, and we did that. Okay, you ready? Here we go. And then the prophet says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the revelation and make it plain so that a herald may run with it. So he's, Habakkuk says, I'm going to get a word from God, but when you get it, I want you to write it down so that a herald, a herald in the ancient world was someone who would get on a horse or a runner that would take the message to the people. And so here's what he's saying. You can't have a message to take to someone unless you write it down. And so I want to talk to you today about not only getting a dream from God, but writing it down. Harvard study showed that people who write down their goals are four times more likely to achieve them, right? And, and so I see a people who not only get a vision from God, but write it down. I put it this way. I see a people with God-sized dreams, right? Like God's spoken to people and they believe God's word and they dream for the future. And I love that. I love that picture of people with God-sized dreams. You could put it this way. The one who writes it down can run with it, <laughs> Where are the people you like to write down lists? Come on, any list people? I love lists. In fact, Katie will find some of my notebooks and I'll just have a bunch of napkins from different coffee shops with handwritten lists. And sometimes she's gonna throw them out and I say, you can't throw that out. And she's like, throw this out? And I'm like, you can't. And she's like, why? I'm like, it's our 10-year plan. <laughs> she's like, on this Panera napkin? I'm like, absolutely do not throw out my napkins. I write on them. They're important. That's God's word to me. When I die, you can throw them out. Until then, nope. You know what I mean? Here, here's all I'm saying. There's something about not only hearing it, but writing it down, right? Getting a vision and, and, and sensing it from God and writing it down. I love that Habakkuk, God speaks to him and says, literally, as you're leading, God's going to speak to you and you're going to write those things down. And I think if I were to ask you to write a couple things down in your heart today as we enter into year two of next, here's what I'm praying for our church. You to just do three things. Here it is. I'm asking you to pray like never before. I really believe God wants our church to be a house of prayer. In fact, when Jesus cleaned up the temple in John 2, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What God did in January in 21 days of prayer, I believe is gonna become a standard in our church that we're just gonna be a church that does more than talk about prayer. We're gonna be a church that prays. In fact, you know, every weekend at 8.15, rooms are filled with people just praying over this day, praying for people to give their lives to Jesus, praying. I think some of the most important work happens in tucked away rooms around our buildings when your intercessors are just crying out to God because how many know prayer moves the hand of God, right? So pray like never before. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to serve like never before. All of us involved, all of us rowing the oars, all of us uh, uh, moving forward, serving in groups and teams and ministries and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I want to say to the team, you know, this tech team gets up. I don't know. You guys get here at 6.15 in the morning. Come on, somebody give it up to our worship team at 6.15 in the morning. And 
downtown and kids teams and, and, and student teams that go away to retreat and, and they, they have, we have leaders that choose to go on retreats and, and stay in cabins with senior high boys. Come on, somebody. How many know that's a calling from God? And, and just invest in the lives of people. Pray like never before. Serve like never before. I love this. Give like never before. Together, sprinting into this next year of next for God to do what only God can do in the life of our church. I don't know if I've told you this. I thought I would tell you. Um, 12, uh, August will mark 12 years that we've lived in uh, Richmond. And Katie and I are from upstate New York. And so we're pastoring a church in Binghamton, New York. Um, a, a lar- it was a 90-year-old church, large church. And... When we got a call to move to Richmond, for us, it was very scary because 12 years ago, the chapel, we were renting the National Theater downtown. We didn't really have facilities worked out. We didn't have uh, the kind of budget that the church had in New York. And so, but I felt like God was stirring us to move to Richmond. And Katie was like, Are, they're not going to like us. They don't like Yankees down there. You know what I mean? And I was like, well, pretend we like Chris, country music. We'll just do it. You know? Uh, you know what I realized? If you pretend you like country music long enough, you'll start liking it. Because the Lord's in it. And, uh, and so I remember finally we got to like 90% sure that we were supposed to move to Richmond. But I couldn't get to 100% sure. So I was like, Lord, I, don't, I can't get to 100%. So I said to Katie, I feel like I'm, I, we're 90% there. What are we going to do? Uh, she's like, I don't know. I said, well, I'll make you a deal. If, if we move to Richmond and it falls apart and it doesn't work because this is a challenging situation for us, will you be mad at me? And she said, no. And I said, that's great. And so I said, can we shake on it? <laughs> I know this is so weird. I've never made her shake on anything before. She's like, what do you mean shake on it? I was like, I want to shake on it because I don't want you ever getting bitter to me because I'm telling you, like, I think this is the Lord, but I'm not sure it's the Lord. So we are going to leave the Northeast. We're going to go to Richmond. We're going to figure out. They don't know the buildings and the plan, and we don't really understand it all. And, I, and so what do you think? Do you want to shake on it? And so we literally, that's how we decided to move to Richmond. I, we shook on it. And I was like, okay. I told the board, well, we just shook on it, so we're coming, you know what I mean? And, and I'll never forget along the way, I had this dream in my heart. This was my private dream that we were 33 or 34 years old, 33, 32, something like that. Uh, we, I said, I want to stay in this church if I can for 30 years. God, if you give me your grace. And I wrote down some goals for 30 years, okay, of what I thought God can do in the city in 30 years. Of like, if we're faithful and planted and consistent. And do you know, two years ago, the chapel passed my 30-year plan. So, so I remember being like to Katie, I guess we could retire, but we're kind of young. And so we're going to have to figure out some new dreams and visions. And you know what I realized? God called me a couple of years ago just to dream again, you know. And I don't even know if I had too small a dreams for a while. I was like, maybe I have too small a dreams. And then I read Ephesians 3.21, that my God shall do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or even imagine. How many know the Lord sometimes does things that you can't even imagine, but he's at work in it, right? And so we're in the middle of dreaming again. And here's what I dream of, a church that's three things, just, just in closing. Here's what I dream of, a church that's three things. It's presence-driven. Come on, say that with me. It's what? It's presence driven it's I dream of a church that's come on it's by bible driven and I dream of a church that's mission it's about reaching more people I dream of a church that's presence driven bible driven mission driven I dream of a church that's presence driven bible driven missions driven I dream of a church that's presence driven bible driven mission driven
One year ago, we did this thing called Next, and we were just rolling out the vision. We had sought some uh, pastors outside of our church that were coaching us through this journey. And when we laid out the calculations of what we needed for Richmond and for Midlothian expansion, these pastors told us that we needed to raise $5 million above and beyond regular giving in two years. And so we, I remember sitting down with my pen, looking at the church budget, and I started doing math. And every time I did the math, I ended up with, this is going to be a problem. I don't know. And I kept writing down, oh, this many, and then we could do this, and this percentage, and this. And I kept, the longer I did the math, the worse it got, you know. Uh, I was like, five million over two years. And so we started to move forward, because we didn't know what to do. We're running out of space, and it takes a while to move a building forward. And so we, uh, we scheduled these dinners to start rolling out the vision. And we scheduled the dinners right when Omicron variant, I don't know if you know, you remember this, uh, like COVID was flaring up and then there was a Russian war in the Ukraine and gas prices were going high. And we were sitting talking to people like, hey, what if we move forward? And they're like, this is the worst time in the world. Gas and inflation and are you crazy? And I was like, yeah. Um, we we shouldn't do it, but I don't know what to do, you know. And so I remember we were rolling this vision out one year ago, and we knew based on our coaching what we had to have committed to move forward with the project. And it was the night before Commitment Sunday last year, the first Commitment Sunday. And I started having this panic attack. In fact, I told Katie, if I could stop this, I would, but everyone knows we're doing this. So I really can't. So I just so you know, I wasn't like filled with faith. I was like, this is a bad idea, you know. And uh, I, I had this image that night of a of a experience that happened to me when I was six or seven. My my grandpa had a camp up in the Thousand Islands near the New York uh, Canada border, up near Watertown, and we'd go to this pool called Clayton Pool and. There were three diving boards at Clayton Pool. There's a regular diving board, a middle one, and there was like a 10, 12-foot diving board. And I remember I was six or seven when my cousin said, are you scared to go on the 12-foot diving board? And I remember saying, I ain't scared. And he's like, prove it. So I was like, okay. And I remember walking up the stairs, the ladder to this um, diving board, and I remember standing on the top. I don't know if you've ever been six or seven about to jump off a 10-foot diving board. It looks like you're on the Empire State Building. You know, I'm like up there. And I stood there and I realized I couldn't do it. And so I decided I can't do it. So I turned around and I was like, I can't do it. But the problem then was all the other kids were on the ladder. So there's like six kids on the ladder and I'm there and I'm like, I can't do it. And my cousin's like, you have to do it. Everyone's on the ladder. And I was like, I can't do it. He's like, you have to do it. And I was like, I don't think you understand. I am not going to do it. And I remember my cousin telling him, move down. So everyone's got to yell to the kid behind him, move down, he's too scared to do it. Move down, he's too scared to do it. You know, Jenny's like, he's scared to do it. I'm like, shut up, Jenny, you know. And it takes like a minute or two for everyone to slowly back off the, uh, the ladder. And I just walked down like a million. I know it's crazy. Commitment Sunday last year, I started having a flashback of this same experience. And I was like, that's exactly what we're going to do as a church. We're not going to get the committed what we need to get committed and then two weeks later i'm gonna have to stand up and i just started having this haunting moments of like i'm gonna i'm gonna have to walk down the ladder and i'm gonna tell everyone like he can't do it and they're gonna go he can't do it and jenny's gonna yell i knew he couldn't do it you know 
And then you did the most amazing thing, which is you slightly exceeded the commitments we needed to make to move forward. And then you did the most amazing thing in the last year. You slightly exceeded the commitments you made. In fact, they've told me as a pastor, it's one thing to get somebody to commit something. It's another thing to get them to do what they said. And so I'm just here today to do two things. Uh, Say a giant thank you to you for being a faith-filled, generous, sacrificial church. Can you just thank God for that and your faithfulness in that way? you say we're good well that's the bad that's the good news the bad news is inflation means we're up like 10 percent. so where we were ahead we're still like okay lord here we go you know we're, we're you know what i'm saying does anyone kind of know what i'm saying uh, and uh but here's the point there are moments in a church where you say they're called sweaty palm moments a pastor friend of mine a pastor mentor told me this is a sweaty palm moment i said what's a sweaty palm moment he said it's a moment in the life of a church it's everyone has a sweaty palm moment right it's when you're going to ask the girl out sweaty palm you're going to the interview sweaty palm you know like it's this is a sweaty palm moment but guess what happens in sweaty palm moments churches get to rely upon the lord and step forward in faith and i believe the decisions and the sacrifices we make in this season i believe thousands of lives will be changed. I believe little kids in nurseries will be in student ministry and buildings will build. Lives will be transformed. I believe we won't have to cap VBS, right? There's hundreds of kids that need to be in VBS making decisions for Jesus. And every year we say we don't have any more space. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to make space for more men and women, boys and girls to love, trust, and treasure Jesus Christ. Because in this sweaty palm moment, we're not going to come down off the ladder. We're going to say, listen, Jenny said we have to go, okay? And we're going to jump off into all God has for us. Who's with me today, right? We're going to trust God. Would you bow your heads with me all over this room? I know this is a vision message for the church, but I just had a sense in my heart that there maybe are some people here today that you're still new to church in at all. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God, you're next is just to give your life to Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We just want something for you. So I won't embarrass you, I promise. But if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you wandered away from it. All you're saying today is, I want to get my heart right with God. Would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? Yes, 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 yes. Yep, I see that in the back, young man, yep. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, I see that, man. Thank you. Yes, sir else yes ma'am young lady one last time anywhere in this room or in others yeah thank you one last time I don't want to be manipulative yeah yes young lady yes sir and right where you're seated you uh it's not a magic prayer it's just a prayer if it's from your heart the Lord will hear it so you pray a prayer that goes like this Lord I know I've come up short I know I've sinned but today I believe Jesus died on the cross and on the third day rose from the dead I repent of my sin turn away from it and I place my faith in Jesus would you come into my life would you take away my sin and my shame and forgive me 
would you give me a new start? Today I'm giving my life fully to you. I'm yours. And by your grace, I'll live for you all the days of my life. For I pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together. Amen. Hey, chapel, a whole bunch of people took steps of faith. We tell them about it. Yeah, hey, if you prayed that prayer, we have a, a card you can fill out or you email us. You just drop it off at Next Step. We just want to help you grow in your faith and grow in what uh, the Lord has for you. Hey, can we take 90 seconds and just sing these words to Jesus? They say, Jesus, Jesus, oh, how I need you. Not even long. It's maybe 90 seconds, two minutes. Just stand. Jesus, sing Jesus. Jesus.